My name's Chuck Leemaster with Team Faith, and we'll go ahead and get this thing going. Um, Lord, thanks a lot for today. Just thanks for the opportunity to be at a racetrack. Thanks to be, for the opportunity to be able to do what we love to do. The things that you put in our heart, which is to race dirt bikes and four-wheelers and be out here as part of your creation. But we want to, uh, we want to humble ourselves before you tonight. We want to make, get, make you preeminent in our life to make you the most important thing. So be with us now. Give, uh, give us ears to hear. Give me a mouth to speak your words in Jesus' name. Amen. So when Jesus was on this earth, hang on a second, little, little adjustment here. If, if that gets to ringing, let me know. When Jesus was on this earth, he was a lot better at this than, than I am. You know, everywhere that Jesus went, it seems like crowds of people would, would just fall in. In Mark chapter 3, it says that people were traveling as far as 100 miles away to come and listen to Jesus when he was teaching. And now granted, Jesus, when he was teaching, he would do miracles. He'd see a lame person, he'd say, hey... Get up, take up your mat and walk, you know, do some jumping jacks on the way. And the guy would jump up and people would be amazed like, hey, man, I... surely there were some people that came out to see Jesus speak that were just there for the show. They just wanted to see, all right, what's he going to pull off now? Is this magic? Is it, uh, is it sleight of hand? Or is this guy really what he claims to be? Of course, there were times that Jesus would preach and the people would be amazed because he spoke with such great authority. They'd never heard anybody teach like that before. And so they were amazed at how he carried himself when he spoke about the scriptures. Of course, being the son of God, he knew a thing or two about the scriptures. But for the most part, when Jesus preached, he spoke in parables. And a parable is simply a story. It's a story about something familiar in order to connect the dots with something unfamiliar. So Jesus would tell an everyday common story in order to connect the dots to that thing that's unfamiliar, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And so he would tell these stories, but a lot of times he wouldn't explain himself. A lot of times people didn't understand. They didn't make that connection. And, and Jesus would always, you know, as he's pointing them to the kingdom of heaven, it seems like as you read through the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, as you read through them, the people weren't really interested in the kingdom of heaven. They were interested in the kingdom of man. They were interested in the kingdom of the here and the now. What's in it for me right now? And Jesus would constantly redirect their attention by telling a parable, a story, something familiar, to connect the dots to something unfamiliar. So before the break, if you were with us at Snowshoe, we talked the prodigal, or the, the parable of the prodigal son. And it's a familiar story. It's a wealthy landowner, had two sons. One of them said, I want my inheritance now. He gets all this money. He goes out and he wastes his life. He comes back to his dad and says, Dad, I was wrong. And the dad welcomes him in with, with open arms. It's a familiar story because all of us can probably name somebody that's got that kid that went off the rails. So we're kind of familiar with how this works. But what's unfamiliar is the way that it ended with the father wrapping his arms around his son and saying, hey, let's have a party. Because what's familiar to us is the, the response of the older brother. The older brother, when he saw that there was a party going on for his loser younger brother, he goes to the, to the father and he says, Dad, what's going on, man? I'm the good son. If anybody was going to get a party, it would be me. Because I'm the good son. And the father responded, no, no, son, you don't understand. You have always been with me. Your brother was once lost, and now he is found. Let's party. And so the, the, um, 
the, the parable, though, that's where Jesus ended it. There was really no explanation to that. And most of the time, when Jesus would tell a parable, he would leave the audience just kind of scratching their head. And here we are, even 2,000 years down the road, and we still read the parables that Jesus told. And we scratch our head and we say, man, that doesn't, I'm not really understanding what Jesus was trying to get across there. So the prodigal, when we come to the story of the prodigal son, it's often explained that there is nothing that you can do that's so bad that God won't accept you back in. And that is true. But it's not the point of the parable of the prodigal son. The point of the, pro- the parable of the prodigal son is, that remember, what Jesus is doing. He's taking something familiar to connect the dots to something unfamiliar, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, or rather, what God is like. And what God is like is like that father who wrapped his arms around the younger son and said, with is better than do. He explained this to the older son. He said, son, you've always been with me. It's relationship with me. But we, we, get, we get really hung up on this because religion says do. you got to do. you got to be a good person, right? That's what religion says. But this is the difference with Christianity. Christianity isn't about do. It's about done. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He lived that perfect life, and then he laid himself down on that cross, and he was crucified for our sins. That's why, although all the religions in the world say do, and Jesus says done, but we have a hard time grasping that concept. You know, we know, intuitively, we know that a sold-out Christian a child of God, you know, a follower of Jesus, we intuitively know that they live life very well. That a, a follower of Jesus is, is a good person. And so we kind of get hung up on this good, this thought of good. And so what we do as people and as institutions, churches, is we build boundaries. We build these boundaries and we say, okay, here's the construct. If you want to be good, here's what you got to do. And that construct ends up looking like you need to go to church three times on Sunday, once on Wednesday, get involved in every program that you can do, and if you will do this, live in this corral, then you're good. Therefore, give yourself a pat on the back. (laughs) The problem is, the problem is, I mean, if you're doing that, if you're living that life, I mean, you're going to church once, twice, thrice, you're doing all these things, and you're posting about it on social media, you might as well go ahead and throw out the hashtag, Board for Jesus. Okay, because let's be honest, there is no preacher that can knock it out of the park every time he gets the microphone. I can't even do it 13 times a year. Can you imagine if I had to preach four times a week times 52 weeks? I can't count that high. And there is no way that you're going to be engaged and excited about doing that. I've done it before, so I'm very, very passionate about this. Is this really really what Jesus came to this earth for? That's what we're going to dig into tonight. So Mark chapter 4 is where I'm going to go with this. If you brought your Bible, we can turn. And matter of fact, you know, have you ever been in, in uh, church service? I've been in church services many times. Total rabbit trail here. Been in church service. The pastor says, all right, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Uh, turn with me. And if you didn't bring your Bible, you need to bring your Bible to church. Every time I hear a preacher say that, I'm like, why? You're going to read it to me. And you're going to put the words up on the screen. And then you're going to tell me not to read ahead. You're going to say, focus up here. So why? do I? Anyway, I'm not cynical about this. I am just passionate that our faith needs to intersect real life. 
And Jesus was passionate that our faith needs to intersect real life. And so I'm going to look at Mark chapter 4 today. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat on it, sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. I told you, people were coming from all over. The previous chapter, we learned that they're coming from as far as 100 miles away, a week's journey to get to see this guy, Jesus. And as they get around him on the Sea of Galilee, all the crowd is on the shore, and Jesus did a smart thing. He gets into a boat, he pushes off, and that gives him distance and space from the crowd, gives him amplification for his voice to go out and carry his voice and, and be able to reach the crowd of who knows hundreds thousands, i don't know but there's a crowd so big that he has to get into a boat and he began teaching them many things in parables and in his teaching he said to them he said listen behold a sower went out to sow a farmer went out to plant his seed and as he sowed some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil, produced grain, growing up, increasing, and yielding 30, 60, and 100 fold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's a pretty basic story, right? We've probably actually all even heard it before. I totally understand it. Jesus says a farmer goes out and he's sowing some seed. He's, he's, he's uh, sowing, just means to scatter the seed. It's really no different than what we do today. It's that today I have the true green hopper, you know. I bought it for $34.95 at Lowe's. And you take your grass seed and you pour it into this thing and you push it and it just scatters the seed, right? We've got a turn track behind the house. Every winter I plant winter grass, rye grass, because I want the grass to grow up and provide nutrients to the soil so that we'll have something really cool and fun to rip up come springtime when we start riding again. Problem is, is that front straightaway is hard packed blue groove. I can't get anything to grow there. I try. I scatter seed on it. I hope it rains. I hope it softens the dirt. I hope the seed falls in there. But I guess by the time the rains come, the birds have already eaten the seed, nothing will grow on the front straightaway. And then you turn the corner, make this really cool left-hand corner, sit in a rut, get up on top of the hill, and that back straightaway right there is all rocks. And I go out there two, three times a year in the season. I pick up rocks, and sometimes when I pick up a rock, you know what's underneath it? Another rock. <laughs> it's all rocky. And so in the wintertime, when I plant that grass, it will sprout. I'm like, all right, we're going to get grass. And then it dies. As soon as the sun comes out, it just dies. And then you take another left-hand turn, you go down the fence row. And that fence row I haven't cleared out. It's always on my to-do list. I'm going to clear that fence row out this winter. I don't like working with a chainsaw when it's 100 degrees. But hey, this winter, when it's nice and cool, I'm going to clear that fence row. It's still growing weeds, thorns, and thistles. And the seed scatters off in there. And if it grows, you'll never know it because it's all weeds and thorns and thistles. And then down in the valley where the field comes down and meets the yard of the house, this is the little valley where all that topsoil has washed down into the valley. And when I hit it with that, that true hopper, with all that seed scattering, man, it grows, and it grows. And this winter, I'm not even planting grass down there because it's rough. I can't mow it. It's so thick. It's producing so much fruit. So, Jesus, I get your story. The, the, the sower and the seeds, the farmer and the planting, totally get it. What's it mean? Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. See you next week. That's where he leaves the story. 
He, he leaves the people hanging right there. The end. And so for us today, I guess we need to continue reading what Mark recorded about this situation with Jesus. And so Mark writes down that when Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So the twelve disciples that we're all familiar with, there was actually a lot of other followers. They just weren't the inner circle. But there was always this close following of Jesus in addition to the twelve. And so the twelve and this close addition, this, this, these close followers to Jesus, they set him down and they asked him, what did that mean? And Jesus said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's a really weird thing to say, Jesus. But actually what Jesus has done here is he has quoted from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived about 700 years before Jesus was on this earth, and a prophet is simply God's spokesperson to the people. And Isaiah was at a time when he was urging Israel, turn to God. They were living their own way. He says, turn to God. Well, Jesus quotes from Isaiah's commissioning. God said, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. And so God replies to Isaiah and he says, go and tell the people to keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing and not see. A little tongue-in-cheek, a little sarcastic. In other words, they're gonna, they aren't going to listen to you, Isaiah. They aren't going to understand you. They're not going to see what you're trying to point out, but go and tell them it has to be done. And so people of Isaiah's day were no different than the people of Jesus' day, which are no different than the people of today. They hear what they want to hear, and they don't hear what they don't want to hear. People of all time have only wanted to hear that which supports what they already think is true, that what they already believe. And so Jesus says, he says, I am not going to spoon feed people something that they're only going to spit out. He says, I'll tell them a parable. And they can go home and they can scratch their head and they can seek out the answer or not. Just like you guys that are here tonight, he says, you 12 disciples and you followers, you've asked, so let me go ahead and, and enlighten you. I'll tell you. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? This is a really key statement, okay? Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable tonight, you're not going to understand any of them. He says, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones that go along the path when the, when the word is sown. They hear, and Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. These are the ones that are sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root, and they only endure for a little while, and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Others are the ones that are sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of, and of other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And this is usually, in my growing up, this is usually when the message ends. And the preacher looks out across the crowd and he says, so what kind of dirt are you? Which even as a child, I always thought, well, how can a dirt decide what type of dirt it wants to be? Dirt is dirt. How do you get to choose what kind of dirt you want to be? 
it's pretty easy. We'll just go keep on going with that in the back of our thought. It's pretty easy to identify the different types of dirt. Okay, you got the uh, the hard path, the walking path. Understand, this is when the seed is sown. The atheist doesn't believe in God. The agnostic uh, doesn't know, doesn't care. So Satan snatches away the truth, the seed, the truth of the Word of God. The atheist, you know, isn't going to accept that. So I, I get that. I understand what the hard path is. The rocky path, or the where the, the rocky soil. Jesus says, well, that's peer pressure. They accept it for a moment, but then as soon as somebody picks on them, they're done with it. And then there's the thorns and the 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 thistles, the thistles, the thorns and thistles. These are things, other things that take preeminence in our life. Pursuit of money, pursuit of pretty girls. Been guilty of that myself. Whatever's most important, that most important box in your life. If it's not God, that's the thorny soil. Jesus said. And then there's the, the good soil. There's the producing fruit. You know, today I kind of feel like I'm there. I know I've been the rocky soil. I know I've been the thorny soil. Today it kind of feels like maybe I'm, I'm the good soil. Sometimes, you know, we get to see, I know that God's using me, and I know that, uh, that other people can see Jesus in me, and so it feels pretty good. But the question is, well, how do you move from being one type of dirt to being a different type of dirt to eventually somehow becoming the good dirt? Where are we at right here? And so I'll let Jesus finish what he was saying. Instead of cutting him off in mid-thought, Mark continues in verse 21. He says, And he said to them, so you see, and... Jesus wasn't quite done yet. Jesus said to them, he said, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, the more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I say, whoa. When I read this the first time, like really read it, I was like, whoa, wait, wait a second. You know, here I'm trying to figure out how to get to be one different type of dirt to the next. And Jesus starts talking about a lamp. How does that really connect? Well, a few minutes ago, a few minutes ago, uh, Jesus quoted Isaiah chapter 6, that they may see and not perceive, hear and not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. Remember, remember the context here. People take a couple of minor facts and they build their own perceptions and their own expectations and they make up the truth that they want to hear. People aren't open to new ideas and they aren't open to being challenged. So, that is the backdrop. What do you do with a lamp? The power goes out and you grab your Coleman 9-volt pop-up lantern and you put it under the bed, right? Of course not. That's what Jesus said. No, you don't put it under a bed. You put it up someplace high. You put it on top of the refrigerator. We used to put it on top of the TV, but now all of our TVs are really thin. You can't put anything up there. So I don't know where you put your Coleman pop-up lantern when the electric goes out, but you find someplace high because then the light is going to shine out and it's going to illuminate the dark places so that you can see. And that's how truth operates. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Jesus is saying truth is truth. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what is. His next words. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he said, pay attention to what you hear. Four times in our reading tonight, Jesus has said, listen, hear, hear. Pay attention to how you, how you hear. He's driving this home. What's most interesting, though, is that the, tw- the people that he's talking to, the 12 disciples and those other followers, they're listening, 
but they aren't hearing. <laughs> They're roadblocked by their own desires and expectations. Remember, as you're reading through the Gospels, every time Jesus shows up, people are there for the party. Like, okay, what's he going to do? He fed 5,000 people with just a couple of fish and some bread. Uh, he heals people. The, the, the lame, they're able to walk. We want to make you king, Jesus. We think that you could lead an army to overthrow Rome. Rome. I mean, if, if you can... Imagine if somebody got stuck with an arrow. You could just heal them on the spot. Imagine if the army ran out of food. You could just feed them. We could definitely defeat Rome. If you would be our king, little K king, we could defeat Rome. And Jesus is all the time saying, no, I am not here to be king. Matter of fact, one time he even comes out and he says, I am not going to be your king. And he says, and, and even as, as the disciples mature and they become convinced that you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, they still keep driving towards their own expectations that Jesus, you're going to be king. And Jesus has enough of it. And he says, he says, I'm not going to be king. He says, I'm going to die. On the third day, I'll be raised up again. And Peter pulls him aside and says, hey, don't be talking like that, Jesus. Ain't nothing like that going to happen to you. And Jesus called him the devil. He said, get behind me, Satan. And then, not too long after that, to the disciples' astonishment, Jesus was arrested. He was put on trial. He was convicted. And he was executed. And he was dead. And they were afraid and they were confused, even though plainly, more than once, more than twice, more than three times, he told them, I am going, I'm not going to be your king. I'm going to die. And when it happened, they're like, dude, he, he's dead. <laughs> and they don't know what to do with themselves. Brings us back to this conversation. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you're willing to pay attention, if you're willing to listen, then pay attention. The whole point of the sower and the seeds is not what kind of dirt are you. The whole point, as Jesus explicitly said four times, is how do you listen? It's not God's will that any should perish. We know that from 2 Peter 3.9. Not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus himself even said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So we know we know that Jesus isn't telling parables to confuse people. He's not there to hide the truth. No, because the truth, like a light that's set up high, the truth comes out. What happened on the third day? The tomb was empty. And the truth was out that, oh, this Jesus, he told us he was going to die. And then he did. And now he's risen, just like he said that he would. We weren't listening. We didn't catch it. But now we're kind of figuring it out that he knew what was up. But it's funny. Even as they're trying to figure this out, when you go to Acts chapter 1, Acts is all about the early church and how it started. Acts chapter 1, Jesus has appeared to his disciples and to many, many different people over the, over the past few days, even hundreds at a time. And he's, he's with his disciples for one last time. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven, but his disciples didn't know that. They look at him and they say, so, um, so are you now ready to take the throne? Are you now ready to become our king and lead us in and overthrow Rome? And Jesus, Jesus says, y'all just need to hang out here for a little while. The Holy Spirit will come on you and then you'll know what to do. And Jesus ascends into heaven. And all the men are standing looking up and the angels come and say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand around here looking at this Jesus? The way that he left, he's going to come back down again. 
And so the disciples, they, they go off, the day of Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit comes down on them, they speak in foreign languages, and they tell people about Jesus, the Messiah. All of a sudden, people start giving their lives to Christ, and the church is born. And this worldwide movement begins. You see, Jesus didn't come down here to rescue one tiny little nation about the size of New Jersey to rescue them from Roman rule. Jesus came not for just 72 and a half years on this earth with this little tiny land. He came to save the entire world from sin for all of eternity. And so that being the backdrop, that's the big picture backdrop. Let's go back and focus in on what Jesus said. Hearing they don't hear, seeing they don't see. Take care then how you hear. The seed that Jesus talks about. The seed is the word of God. It's the message of salvation. God wants more for you than you want for yourself. He has eternity in mind, but he also has the here and now. Jesus came that we may have life, that we may have it abundantly. Jesus saves. That is the seed. That is the simple seed of the gospel. Jesus saves. The hard path, the path that gets trampled, the path that Satan comes and takes the seed away. Well, we know that that's the atheist, doesn't believe in God. It's pretty easy to take the seed away. The agnostic doesn't know if there's a God, doesn't care if there's a God. That's easy for the seed to be taken away. There are a lot of hard path soils filling our churches every single Sunday. Every pastor in America will tell you a similar story as to what I'm about to tell you. I remember preaching, and this has happened more than one. I can't tell you how many times this has happened. I preached on this one occasion, I preached very, very plainly that you'll never be good enough to go to heaven. It was the evil Knievel message. If anybody was, was ever here to hear the evil Knievel message, you'll never be good enough to come before a holy God. You'll never be good enough to get to heaven. Conclude the message. Somebody comes up, good words, man. Makes me really feel good that I was here. Well, what do you mean by that? Oh, you know, I just kind of, I feel closer to God. And that does what? Well, you know, just working hard to get to heaven. <laughs> just like the Alan Jackson song, you know, where I come from, it's cornbread and chicken, working hard to get to heaven. I'm like, how did you get that? I said you can't be good enough to go to heaven, and you're telling me that you heard me say that you can be good. I don't. Hearing they do not hear, and seeing they do not see. Man, every pastor in America will tell you exactly the same story, just different words. That's the hard path. The rocky soil. We come to the rocky soil. They hear it and they respond. It's a moment. Often this happens at summer camp. You know, yes, I need Jesus. I'll raise my hand. I need Jesus. I need salvation. I need purpose in my life. But they go home and they get around those old influences. Oh, you're a Christian now. So you're not going to go drink. You're not going to go chase girls. You're not going to have any fun with us. And before you know it, man, they're just off and running just like they were before they even, before they even raised their hands. And so my question is, well, what did you hear when you accepted Jesus? Did you hear that it was going to be easy? No, 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 no. Because Jesus himself said, anyone who wishes to come after me must deny himself, must take up his cross daily and follow me. If you want God's best in your life, it isn't saying some magic words. It's about going all in. There's going to be some things that you no longer partake in. And in this dirt, there are two big rocks that people trip over that choke the word out. Sex before marriage and getting drunk. Those are things that, man, if you have the, the, the mindset or the expectation that I want just enough Jesus in my life to save me from hell, 
but I don't want it to be enough to change who I am or change what I do with my life. You're the rocky soil. And then we come to the weeds and the thorns. Jesus describes this as being the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things that enter in and choke out the word. Did you hear that following Jesus would make your life better? Did you hear that following Jesus would mean that he'll answer your prayers? Did you hear that following Jesus would mean that, that your, your hard work will finally match your talent? You'll get to be a pro racer and you'll get a, a fat factory contract with the, the manufacturer of your choice? Is that what you heard? Because I believe that there are some people that that's what they hear. I know that when I was the thorny soil, that's what I heard. This is exactly this is exactly what happens when we put anything in that most important category. I want to win races. I want to date a hot, beautiful woman. I, you know, I want whatever it is that you put in that category besides God, that puts you into the thorny soil. And this is exactly why. This is exactly why the prosperity gospel movement that's sweeping this country right now is so dangerous. Because it tells people what they want to hear. God is good, and he loves to bless his children. The end. Unfortunately, that's where the message ends. And millions of people cling to that message because it affirms what they already wanted to hear. And they focus on the car, the house, the wife, the kids, whatever it is, they focus on that thing. And I'll be honest with you, I've listened to a little bit of Joel Osteen. I've read some of what he's written and I've watched his interviews. And he has not said anything that I would argue against. He has not said anything that I've heard him. I haven't heard him say anything that's unbiblical. But it's not the whole story. And that's what's so dangerous. I have blessings in my life that I don't deserve. That is absolutely true. <laughs> but also, I also have hardships in my life that increase my faith and make me more like Jesus. Do you know what has increased my faith the most? It's not answered prayers. It's unanswered prayers have increased my faith the most. Back in 2002, I was the thorny soil. I had that uh, I had that box up there of what's most important in your life. I wanted to find that hot girl. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to meet the right one and get married and have a wife. And uh, I thought, okay, I need to get serious about my faith. It means, you know, I got to get in that corral that I talked about earlier. Go to church all the time. Get involved in all these programs and these projects. And, and so, uh, 2002, I was attending church a, a lot. I was involved in every program. The singles class, the single Sunday school class, was going to have a retreat down in the Smoky Mountains, down on the Ocoee River. And so I decided that, hey, you know, the Bible says that the prayers of a righteous man will, will uh, affect much, availeth much, if you're into the King James Version. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. I'm a righteous man. I'm going to church all the time. I'm involved in all these programs. I am going to start praying for 100 people to go to this retreat. I had been a student at Cedarville College 10 years before that. We, and Cedarville College is a small uh, Christian school in, in Ohio. We had this guest speaker come in for Revival Week. We we went to church twice a day for five days in a row at Cedarville College during a revival week. And we had, this, we had this guy, and he was preaching twice a day for five days. And every time he got up to the pulpit, he would say the Cedarville 100. And then he would just go on. And we thought he was just some crazy old guy, you know. But on the, on the, on the final night, on Friday night, he said, You've heard me saying the Cedarville 100 every time I get up here. I've been praying to God that he would raise 100 students from here to go to a foreign mission field, to go over to Russia, to go over to Africa, to go wherever and be missionaries. And so I'm challenging you today 
If you want to follow God's calling in your life and be a missionary overseas, come forward. I'm praying for 100 people. 500 people responded to be missionaries overseas. Well, hey, that's how God works. Prayers of a righteous man avail as much. God, I'm praying for 100 people to come to this. I'm naming it and I'm claiming it. 100 people come to this. Our singles class had about 40 or 45 people in it. But hey, if Jesus can take five fish, two loaves of bread, and feed 5,000 people, he can create a few single people that want to go on this retreat. So 100 people, God. The day comes, we had about 20 people, about 25 people. And I was disappointed. I was angry with God. As a matter of fact, that began, that began, that was the beginning of the end for me. It wasn't too much longer after that, and I was out of church. I was off running wild. I was doing my own thing. You know, God, if you're not gonna if you're not gonna answer that thing that's up here in the most important category of my life, if you're not gonna do that, I'll just do it myself. And so I went running my own way and I dated a lot of really pretty girls and it all finally came crashing down on me. And in 2006, when I hit my knees and I said, I, I lost my place, but in 2006, I hit my knees and I said, God, I am all in. There are things in my life that I want, but not my will, but yours be done. Have you heard that before? That's part of the Lord's Prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. I mean, we hear it all the time, but do we really, do we really hear it? Because Jesus says that the, the thorny soil is when the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word. My faith has certainly increased more with the unanswered prayers than it has with the answered prayers. Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let me ask you something. What happens when you hear something? Like when you really hear something? Parents, you all understand. Feed the dog, take out the trash, sweep the floor. You come back 30 minutes, the trash is taken out, but the dog's still hungry and the floor is still dirty. What, what did you do? Why didn't you do these other two things I said? Well, I didn't hear you. How could you not hear me? <laughs> We fight it every time, but being a Christian is really no different. As followers of Christ, when you hear something, you do something. And that, my friends, that's what determines what kind of dirt you are. Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand any of them. In other words, if you do understand this parable, you will understand the other ones. And he told a parable, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 7, about a wise man who builds his house on a rock and a foolish man who builds his house on the sand with disastrous consequences. And Jesus led into that parable by saying, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. You see, that's the good soil. The good soil bears the fruit. They hear it, and they do it. Safe sex for marriage. Hey, as a single guy... I'm not a big fan of that one. But that's what God said to do. And so as I obey, as I hear and I obey, I see that God is working and He's increasing my faith and He's doing things in my life. The Bible's also pretty clear about getting drunk. I had a problem with that. When I first hit my knees, I had a big problem with that. But I've since I put it away. It means I can no longer golf because what would be the point, right? It is painfully embarrassing to be that bad at something and not even have an excuse. So I just don't even do it anymore. But that's what God said to do. And yeah, I think that maybe sometimes I'm missing out. But then I look at what God's doing in my life and the good soil and it produces fruit. And I look out and I see, wow, God has done amazing things here. There are other things that God says. He says, love God, love your neighbor. Let each of us esteem ourselves as less important. 
and, and let another and esteem others is more important than ourselves. You see, the gospel really is that Jesus came to die for sinners. And it really is that Jesus came to give us abundant life. But it's a life of surrender. It's not my will, but yours be done. Take care then how you hear. Because the more you hear it and do it, the more you understand it. And the more you understand it, the more you're going to hear it and then you're going to do it. And the brighter your light is going to shine and the more harvest is going to be produced. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Just thank you for... Thank you for the parables that Jesus told that uh, really are head scratchers sometimes. But man, as we seek out and we tease out the truth, so wise. So I just pray that you will do your will in our lives, that you'll do your will with us, that you'll grow us and that you'll move us to be more like Jesus, that we'll see the world change, not just the here and now, but the scope of eternity. We love you. I love being your servant, Lord, here on GNCC. Bless these people as we go. Keep us safe. May we meet again in two weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. Um, usually we pick up a lot of these chairs afterwards. You don't have to do that tonight. I need to leave about 15 of these out for tomorrow morning. And uh, that's it. Have a great race. Thanks. <laughs>